Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Wednesday, June 13th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 17. This episode is brought to you by my Fertility Awareness Action Plan sessions. Spend an hour with me going over your reproductive health history and exploring your interest in fertility awareness. Ask questions and see if this method is a viable option for you. You'll always leave the session with resources to begin your healing and a solid action plan. Find the link in the show notes for more details. Now let's get into the rules of the fertility awareness method for contraception. I've decided to make this episode for a couple of reasons. One is more practical and the other is more philosophical. The practical reason is that I've spent previous episodes talking about fertility awareness from a number of different angles. The first was learning the fertility signs, teaching people how to chart, and then I've gotten into the science behind each fertility sign so that the method is clear or, you know, hopefully clarified for people. But I keep getting the question, so how do you do it? Or something along the lines of, I need to know how you do it so I don't get pregnant. So I'm making this episode to talk about that in the form of rules that you can abide by that are clear and easy to understand once you've gotten familiar with charting, once you've gotten familiar with the fertility signs. The philosophical reason is because I pretty consistently now have menstruators that come to me to talk about FAM from a point of fear. That fear might be originated in not knowing what's going on with their body. That fear might be from the dreaded late period. That fear could be from past trauma or from medical misogyny or a bad experience at a doctor. That fear could be distrust from past partnerships and disregard of consent. That fear might be from unknowingly contracting an STI. That fear might be the fear that we're socialized with since we're very small that we can get pregnant at any time. That fear is rooted in not understanding and being the masters of our own bodies, not by any fault of ours, but from a fundamental disassociation that our society has created between ourselves and our bodies. And we might be a puzzle, but after a while, we aren't that hard to figure out. And as someone who's practiced this for 35 cycles, I really want to let others know that learning about this method can only deepen your relationship with yourself. It can only further demystify the changes in our body, our mind, and our spirit. And it can only dispel fear because there's great power in knowing this. And so I'm making this for all the people out there who feel fear regarding their fertility and who feel like they aren't exactly sure where they can go next. I want this to help you feel confident enough to at least try and see what this can do for you. The first rules I'm going to talk about for fertility awareness for contraception are more like rules about properly taking and analyzing your data. Because if you don't know how to do that, FAM is not going to be very useful to you. So some basics about charting first. My first suggestion is to move slowly from where you are now to where FAM can bring you, especially if you're coming off of a reproductive health issue or recent birth control. It's better to track for that 
than for contraceptive purposes. Track for body literacy first. The beginning of all of this is really where you're going to want to become more highly educated on the fertility signs and how they work from day to day with your body specifically. So taking that time, in my opinion, is important to using FAM correctly and to maximize your own autonomy. This may mean that you and your partner should agree to use barrier methods or alternative forms of sex until you feel comfortable and that you understand your fertile window and also when you're beyond your fertile window so that you can resume having unprotected sex. My second rule to data collection is to not assume. Don't assume that you're going to see something that hasn't arrived yet. Don't try to see what you want to see. So it's just a general caution not to fall into your own bias. And this is where you can start to take risks with this method by rationalizing things that you see in your chart rather than observing your data. And so I've talked about this before. When it comes to utilizing FAM for birth control, you really have to look at the data that you have because the data is always telling you something. So making sure that you're not looking at charts in a book and then looking at your own chart and saying, oh, I think that fits in, that is a good way to do this method incorrectly. You definitely have to not assume or not make judgments on your data. Rather, wait and look at your data, start to understand your data, and your data as it mounts up from month to month will become clearer to you as you spend the time to understand it. Along with this is to listen to your body and use your signs as a guide to understanding your rhythm. So not just listening to the three main fertility signs, but also starting to understand your mood that day or how you felt like eating, what your cravings were. These types of secondary signs can be very helpful for you and also your partner to understand when you're going through what you're going through and also that you're in motion and that you're not going to be like that forever because you might feel great one day and then a few days later you feel a lot slower and more tired. And so acknowledging that change can be very important to reorganizing your life. So I would definitely suggest listening to your body and then comparing that with your fertility signs and saying, oh wow, there might be a there might be a legitimate hormonal connection here. My next suggestion would be to not discount what you see. So fertility signs very well may deviate from that biphasic pattern that we would like to see in a quote unquote normal chart. But the signs that you observe mean something for your reproductive or overall health. So don't discount cervical fluid if you observe cervical fluid, for instance, in the post-ovulatory phase where, you know, the method says, hey, you're supposed to be generally dry in the post-ovulatory phase. But if you observe fluid then, you should definitely mark it down. Don't discount if you feel a lack of fluid during the fertile window. That means something else. Don't discount if you don't see a temperature rise. Your data can be interpreted and sometimes it's less about the act of ovulation and more about what is this trying to tell me about my overall health. So the pattern is a guide, 
but your charts will improve toward that pattern as your health improves. But everyone is different. So I definitely want you to focus on observing, writing down what you see and writing down how you feel. And then going back and looking at that over a pattern of time will actually really be what's giving you that insight that you're looking for. This method is best when you utilize all of your biomarkers and even your secondary fertility signs. So putting everything together to create your own personal, unique body literacy kit, I think is where this method succeeds the most because you're not just demystifying when you ovulate, though you are, you're demystifying a lot of different things that could be going on with your body through the chart. And so as you sort of deepen your understanding of the signs that you observe, especially when you observe them over and over again from month to month, you're getting a really intimate view into yourself. And this is something that the medical establishment doesn't understand about the reproductive system. They sort of take the reproductive system and suspend it out of the body and consider it its own thing. It's very disturbing in that way. Whereas fertility awareness, it really acknowledges that your reproductive system is inside of your body and that it's interacting with your brain. It's interacting with the rest of your body. It's interacting with how you feel. It's interacting with the way that you deal with things. And so just understanding the nuances of that, your secondary fertility signs, as well as those three biomarkers, which are your waking temperature, your cervical fluid, and your cervical position, that's really where fertility awareness can work best. I know some people that prefer to chart more along the lines of their spirit and their emotions and they take their temperature as well so they know where they are in their cycle but they're almost at a point where they'd rather do it from a more intuitive standpoint as well as understanding the biological markers. So what I'm going to be talking about is the biological markers so that you can understand what are the hard rules to using fertility awareness for contraception. Thankfully, there are only four FAM rules for contraception, so we can break this down pretty simply. The first rule is called the first five days rule. You're generally considered infertile for the first five days of your menstrual cycle unless you've ever had a cycle that was less than 25 days long, and as long as you observed an obvious thermal shift about 12 to 16 days before. If you've had cycles that have been less than 25 days, you should consider yourself infertile for only the first three days of your cycle. This is to avoid the risk of getting pregnant due to an early ovulation. Any bleeding after the first five days of your cycle could still be considered fertile as blood could mask cervical fluid. You'll want to have observed that thermal shift 12 to 16 days before to confirm that this is a true menstruation and not a long cycle with ovulatory spotting. If you have cycles that are generally longer than 25 days, the first five days of your menstrual cycle, which usually are close to the total of your menstruation, you're considered infertile. And ultimately, this is because your body at this time is not producing fertile cervical fluid, 
and ovulation is likely too far off for sperm to be able to survive until it occurs. And so that's what results in the infertility. There's not enough cervical fluid for sperm to survive for any period of time in the vaginal canal. And if you're ovulating after day 10, for instance, the likelihood of sperm surviving is extremely remote. The second rule is called the dry day rule. This rule says that you are generally considered infertile the evening of any day that you observed that you had no cervical fluid that day. This rule is addressing the pre-ovulation phase, also known as the follicular phase. So when you come off of your period now, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, there may be a period of dryness before you start to feel wet cervical fluid. And that period may be two to three days. It could be a little bit longer or it could be much longer because the follicular phase is a variable number of days. Quality of your cervical fluid is key to whether or not you are considered fertile. The simplest way of putting this is that without cervical fluid, the vagina is very acidic with a low pH and it also has a type of dry fluid in it that is made up of white blood cells. And so basically there's not a whole lot that, uh, that the sperm are going to be able to do to get out of this situation, especially because even if they did magically swim up to the cervix, your body has a wonderful thing called a mucus plug that is still in place at the time that you are considered dry. And so because of all of this, it also makes fertility very low at this time. So because sperm cannot survive in this dry vaginal environment and the lack of cervical fluid indicates that estrogen levels are too low for ovulation to be occurring, you can consider these days safe for unprotected sex. However, the next day after a dry day is considered potentially fertile, especially if there's residual semen that could be masking your cervical fluid. So what this means is that you are safe the evening of every dry day coming off of your period. For me personally, these days are usually days 6 to day 9 or 10 uh, is usually when I'll start to observe that change from a dry vagina to uh, more of a wet sensation, starting usually with stickiness and creaminess and then moving into a, a wetter fluid as I approach ovulation. The point here in regards to cervical fluid charting is that everyone is different and what you're going to be looking for is what your particular pattern is. If you have these shorter cycles, you likely don't have this basic infertile pattern, which would be these couple of dry days before wet days. It's more likely that your ovulation is occurring, you know, before day 14. So your whole pre-ovulation is sort of pushed forward and is like almost abutting the end of your menstruation. And so that might make things more difficult in terms of cervical fluid charting and especially trying to observe the dry day rule. Because if you aren't observing those dry days, then you can't use the dry day rule. For me personally, I have cycles that are in a 29 to 33-ish day range. And so because of that, I 
consistently observe a period of dry days before I begin the fertile window. And because of that, I can have unprotected sex on those days. The third rule is called the peak plus four rule. And this rule also addresses cervical fluid. You are generally considered infertile the evening of the fourth day after your most fertile cervical fluid. So as I've mentioned, as you approach ovulation, you continue to get wetter. And this wet fluid is an indication of fertility. You need to identify what your peak day of fluid is. And this wouldn't necessarily be when you observe the most fluid, but when you observe the most fertile quality cervical fluid. So those would be fluids that are wetter, that make more of a wet stain in your underwear, fluids that are stretchy in your hands that you could pick up and actually observe uh, stretching between your fingers. These are the types of fluids that would be most conducive to sperm survival. And they also indicate that you have a high amount of estrogen, which falls right in line with the ovulation process. So when you're observing that, or if you're observing ovulatory spotting, which is usually like a, a spotting brownish color, but if you look at it, it usually has also a very slimy, slippery, wet-looking quality because it also has a, a high amount of water in it as well. For some people, they might take another 24 to 48 hours for them to actually ovulate after you observe that peak day fluid. And this is why there's a peak plus four rule because you're gonna wanna wait to make sure that the egg has actually left and you're also gonna wanna wait to make sure that a second egg in the case of fraternal twins hasn't been released. So if you're focusing just on the cervical fluid, you would use the peak plus four rule to understand when it would be safe again to resume having unprotected sex. And that would be four days after you have observed your last day of cervical fluid. So you'd have that peak day, which would be that last day that you observe it. And then there's a change where you should feel a drying up happening. And as as you do this a few times, you'll understand where your fluid days are ending and where your dry days are beginning again. And so what you'd want to see is four days of dryness after that peak day, and then you can resume. This might be further complicated by polycystic ovarian syndrome or other hormonal disorders that are related to estrogen, because if you have a lot of estrogen in your body, you're going to observe more cervical fluid. Your body's going to go ahead and produce that. So really, you want to pay attention to your cervical fluid because it is one of the best diagnostic markers of fertility in the moment. But if you're dealing with a reproductive health issue or hormonal issue, you also want to use your basal body temperature as that really good cross-reference to understand is this cervical fluid matching up with the temperature shift? Because if it is, you'll know that that's that window of ovulation. This brings me to the fourth and final rule, which is called the thermal shift rule, also known as the temp plus three rule. This is the rule about basal body temperature and it's very consistent so you can use it to really identify when ovulation happened and that you are once again infertile. 
This rule says you are generally considered infertile the evening of the third day after you observe a basal body temperature shift. So as you observe your peak day, you'll want to see three temperatures that are at least three-tenths above the six temperatures before them. So this would be how we create a cover line, as I mentioned in the Charting with Temperature podcast. We use a cover line to distinguish the temperature shift. And so what you'll be looking for is a set of three temperatures in consecutive order that are at least three-tenths above the six days before that, and that would indicate that you have ovulated. And it's possible, as we've said, that you can ovulate 24 hours after you observe your peak day fluid. So in the same way, we use these three days of high temperatures to confirm that ovulation has occurred and give your body time to now go back into its infertile phase, give the body time to create that mucus plug again, and for you to be safe to have unprotected sex. The rise in temperature is due to the release of progesterone, which you're only going to have in your system after ovulation has occurred. So it's a really hard data type of way to look at your ovulation and say, hey, this event already happened. Similarly to the peak plus four, the temp plus three rule is built for a possible release of a second egg in the case of fraternal twins, and also to confirm that you have indeed ovulated. So you want to see the consistency of the rise, especially because you might have a reproductive health issue that could cause that temperature to attempt to go up in an attempt for ovulation and then fail to do so. So you really have to look for that three-tenths rise and see that for three days and after that you're good to go and that's been the case for me ever since I started this method. I haven't had an anovulatory cycle. I've ovulated 35 times and all of those times I've observed these rules and I've menstruated 12 to 16 days after ovulation so it's a really beautiful thing to practice this and to actually put faith in the method. So put together, these rules are a very effective form of contraception. If you use the four rules of FAM for birth control, which are the first five days rule, the dry day rule, the peak plus four rule, and the temp plus three rule, you're in a really good spot to get started using this method for contraception and especially if you give yourself two to three cycles to watch it happen on paper, whether that's paper or an app that you use to, to chart it, once you start to observe the shift yourself and you realize that it is hard scientific data, it becomes easier to trust in the model and to understand it from a scientific standpoint, from a from a data-driven standpoint, and I find a lot of peace in that, and I find a lot of understanding in that, that no other birth control method was going to give me, as well as the fact that it addresses so many reproductive health issues that it's kind of hard to ever think of utilizing something that would suppress my reproductive system when I gain so much knowledge and insight from 
you know, having a deeper understanding of it. So once you get the hang of tracking your fertility signs, you'll be so happy to be able to have unprotected sex during your infertile days. It will definitely make you feel a lot different. Uh, I have talked about that in the Sex Positive podcast, that it's affected my sexuality in a really positive way, and that I'm, I no longer fear semen. Like, we have this irrational fear of cum, and I happen to enjoy cum, <laughs> so it's good that I can find a place to be both sexually free and also control and wield my fertility in a way that's very positive for me. The last challenge that new folks have with fertility awareness is usually once they understand these four rules and how they work, they're like, okay, I'm getting the parts where I can have unprotected sex, but what about the fertile window? What do I do about sex during this time? And it's really up to you and your partner or your sexual partners if you have multiple Uh, to talk about this and see what's appropriate for you. For a lot of folks, they'll want to use barrier methods during this period, but you basically open yourself up to the efficacy of that barrier. So actually condoms don't have a very good uh, perfect use. There's a lot of user failure that happens, especially when you're using it during the fertile window. There's a lot of slipperiness. Um, And so you have to trust your partner in that sense that if they're going to use condoms, they have to observe when the condom is possibly slipping off or be mindful of condom breakage and things like that. However, I find that using alternative sex play during the fertile window is the most sexually enjoyable way to get through the fertile window. And as you become better with charting and understanding the really the most fertile days, uh, those will be the days where you'll want to either abstain that day or make sure the semen ends up in on an exterior part of the body or do something else fun uh, with that semen. <laughs> so you you really want to make sure that you understand during the fertile window that you are very fertile during that time. When you're infertile, you're very infertile and uh, there's no egg and there's no way in and there's all of, you know, there's white blood cells coming for them. There's a lot going up against them when you're infertile, but when you're fertile, it's basically like your body's making a river and the gate is open and they're like, come on in. So if you are going to have unprotected sex during that time, you do need to know the risks and also the statistics about withdrawal and things like that. Um, I find that just making sure that the sex play ends in an alternative is really the most positive and sexually satisfying and everyone's orgasming and everyone's having a good time. So really just understanding when you can actually have semen in you because there is no risk of pregnancy, I think is one of the more powerful things that can be learned from these four rules. And when you break them down Two of them are about cervical fluid and two of them are about the temperature. And so if you can really just get a handle on looking for those signs and understanding your body's specific uh, pattern over time, 
you'll uh, you'll definitely feel more confident with it, and I think it will it will become more intuitive to you where that fear based thinking will wither away. And that's really the goal here is to teach people the rules so that they can start implementing it in a more practical way. And I would like to see more people using it because it is so valuable in a number of different ways. If you feel any doubt or you don't see these rules making sense or lining up for you in your chart, it's probably because there's something else going on. So don't take the chance. The best way to play these rules for contraception is to obviously use them conservatively instead of lackadaisically. So following them strictly uh, will help you make sure that you don't make any mistakes and don't take any chances that you aren't comfortable taking because the whole goal is for you to make the choice and for you and your partner or partners to make choices together. So if you feel any doubts about understanding, did you have a shift, did you not? Is this three-tenths above the cover line? Is it not matching up with my cervical fluid? Just take the time to get to know yourself, and things will get more demystified as you spend more time with it. So there you have it. These are the four rules to practicing fertility awareness method for effective contraception. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please share it with someone who's interested in FAM. Please subscribe and rate me on Apple Podcasts so that more folks can find the show. This episode was brought to you by my Fertility Awareness Action Plan sessions. To learn more, visit the show notes. This concludes episode 17 of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Chart and live beyond fear.